0: Life if you give your heart and believe what he's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through You'll be set for life. You'll be and so covenant and consequence is the message for today. The consequences of David's sins are still ongoing, but yet the Lord was still working to uphold the covenant that he had made with David. David escaped from Jerusalem when Absalom tried to take over the throne, but when Absalom was killed, David returned back to Jerusalem again. The Israelites were divided. Who has more right to David? It became a big political power struggle. And so everybody's saying, we got more shares. We have more right. The same old thing we hear today. We're better than you are. We should get more. We should uh, have better than you. So that's the, the latest bunch of problems confronting David. It's, it's not just about coming back to the throne, but you got division going on with all the people. What does he do? Let's see what happens. Second Samuel 20 and 1. And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bishri, a Benjamite, and he blew a trumpet and said, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man do his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bishri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. You know, it's always typical that whenever people get divided, there's always somebody. I mean, there's always that guy that just has to jump in the middle and shout for revolution to make an already bad situation even worse. And in this case, that person was Sheba. Now, the fact that he was a Benjamite tells you right there, he believes that the crown should have stayed in Saul's line since Saul was a Benjamite. So Sheba denounced David's authority by saying, we have no share in David, when actually he did. He did actually have a share in David. He's just trying to be a troublemaker here, but he denounced David and declared that he was not going to get under this king's authority. I am not going to get under you. Basically what he said. And he called for others to leave and go with him. And you can see how Sheba insulted David by saying, we have no inheritance in who? The son of Jesse, he said. You know, David's father, Jesse, was a lowly sheep farmer. So he's trying to tell everybody, you know, y'all remember how low David used to be? He's just the son of a sheep farmer. What can you get out of him? Because sheep farmers were poor. They didn't have anything much of their own, much less to give other people. And so Sheba insulted David by reminding the people where David came from. We have no inheritance of this son of a sheep farmer. So here's David, the king. And Sheba essentially said, You have nothing we want. David's the king for crying out loud. And he said, You ain't got anything we want. You don't have any inheritance for us. We have no share. You have nothing that we want. We don't want your authority. We don't want your inheritance. We want nothing of you because, quite frankly, you don't have anything to give us. And so he called for a revolution, got a bunch of guys to walk away from David. Second Samuel 20 and 3. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go in to them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Now, this is how David reasserted his claim to the throne by coming back to his harem, the women that he had had children with that would grow up to broaden his household. David came in as king. It was the way they did it, that you get prominent men around the nation and you get one of their daughters or more of their daughters and have children with them to expand your own house through powerful men, their daughters around the whole land. So that's how a king established his power by having children like this with with these concubines. The king's harem was a basis for authority. Now let's recall back when Ahithophel advised Absalom on how to take the throne away from David. He said the first thing that Absalom should do was go in and take David's concubines because that was the culture. You want to start a kingdom? You get these concubines and you start your own big family line. When he told him, go take David's concubines, He said, that's your way of saying, now I have the throne now. I'm going to start my own household with the powerful men of Israel, and that's how I'm going to be king. But when David came back to take his throne back again, he put his concubines in seclusion. This signaled that he was back to retain his throne, but he would not have relations with his concubines anymore because they had been violated by the sexual rebellion of his son Absalom. You know, it was sick enough for Absalom to take women that his own father had been with, but David had the decency not to go into them after Absalom had violated them. And so David secluded them. That does not mean he disrespectfully shoved them off. What it means is he gave them a place, an honorable place where they could have a good retirement. Here's a wonderful house for all y'all. Y'all got it made from here on out for the rest of your days. They lived the rest of their lives out in this place. It was actually a good setup. But David would not go into them because Absalom had publicly violated them. Now I want us to remember that Absalom did put a tent up on top of the roof so that all Israel could publicly watch Absalom go into David's concubine so they could publicly see the takeover. Remember that the Lord told David in 2 Samuel twelve, eleven. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel before the son. And so David's action of setting his concubines off to the side in seclusion, that's part of the cleanup process that David is now having to do in front of everybody publicly because of the sins that he had committed. Setting his concubines aside would make everybody say, what? Look at this. What's he doing? It's, this is not typical of a king to do like this. David was kind of having his trouble displayed in front of everybody. As we say in America, he was having his dirty laundry aired out. <laughs> David is having to clean up the consequences. Of, he's having to clean up a big mess that he made. And friends, that will humble you down very fast. And so this is where I have to reemphasize a point, that we can see how God was upholding his covenant promise with David, while at the same time, he was enforcing the consequences of David's sin upon him. Being under covenant doesn't allow you to do anything you want, because God was also enforcing the consequences. The Lord said, I'm going to take your wives away from you for this, and that's exactly what happened. But that does not mean that the covenant is gone. The covenant is still there, but the consequences are also there from the Lord. David is really paying for his sin heavily. Publicly, he may have felt ashamed of what he'd done. Uh, We certainly know that it grieved David because he's already lost three sons over it up till now. This is not a sin license whatsoever. Covenant doesn't mean, hey, I get to do anything I want because the consequences hurt. The consequences are designed to get you straight to get you following right again, following right under the Lord. It's not a sin license. Nathan the prophet told David after he had sinned, he says, your sin has been put away from you, you shall not die. But this did not stop the Lord from keeping the promise that he made. The Lord said, I keep this promise, this covenant with you. That does not break the covenant. Man's sin does not break an unconditional covenant. There are conditional covenants. There are unconditional covenants. Man's sin does not break an unconditional covenant. The Lord said he would establish an eternal kingdom from David's own family line, and he's going to keep it regardless. Now, a lot of people tried to murder David and cut his line away in order to cut off God's promise, to try to make a liar out of God. But God is not going to permit it, he's not allowing this to happen. God always defends and upholds His promises, even when we sinners mess things up. Promises kept, yes, but also the consequences are being kept also. This is covenant and consequence both being upheld. So now that David had returned and demonstrated that the throne was still his, it was time to put away the revolutionists, the opposition that rejected his authority. Those that reject the authority, they've got to be dealt with. In Second Samuel 20 and 4. And the king said to Amasha, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasha went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba the son of Bishri will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men, with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, went out after him. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba the son of Bishri. When they were at the large stone which is in Gibeon, Amasha came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai his brother pursued Sheba the son of Beshri. So David told Amasa to go after Sheba and cut off this revolution. We've got to stop this mess. But Amasa was not able to do it within the three days that David gave him. So David sent Abishai with his own troops to go help out. But of all people, who did he run into? Amasa ran into Joab. You remember in the previous chapter, David had fired Joab just basically for being insubordinate, talking at him uh, disrespectfully, snapping at him and all that. So he replaced him. Joab got replaced with Amasa. And so Joab had a bone to pick with Amasa, basically. So you think you're going to do my job? (laughs) That's my job to do, not yours. So Joab did his cowardly signature move that he'd always done here, the same sucker punch that he gave Abner back in chapter 3. You remember when Abner was in the refuge city, in a city where you're not supposed to take vengeance on people? So he said, hey, Abner, come here. And Abner walks up, yeah, what? And he sticks him. And you're not supposed to do that. I mean, that is like 10 times against the law bad to do that in a refuge city. Abner just loved to stab unsuspecting people in the gut. And that's why Abner even approached him. Abner figured in a refuge city, he's not going to try anything here. He wouldn't be that dumb. But Joab did it anyway. But David now has real trouble to deal with here. He's got a revolution on the rise, and now here's Joab adding to the problem. He's making things worse. Now, remember, the Lord told David, The sword shall not depart from your house. This is part of the consequences that were boiling up, even though God was still upholding his covenant promises to David. Now, I know you want to see Joab go down for all this. It's going to catch up with him. Don't worry. Joab is going to get his later in 1 Kings. So Joab stabbed Amasa, thinking this means he's going to get his old job back. Well, I'm back in the saddle, right? Second <laughs> Samuel 20 and 11. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. Now, now wait a minute. Jo- Joab did not represent David. He-, he doesn't get to say, if you follow David, follow me. Uh, he didn't speak for David. He doesn't, nothing. He, he was fired. David would have never condoned what Joab just did to Amasa. He killed him right, he stabbed him right there in the street. So, who does this guy think he is speaking for Joab, saying that whoever supports David should follow Joab? He had no right to say that. And the men should have known David better. They should have known their king well enough to know that this is not the guy to follow. We do not follow a guy that acts like Joab and think we're actually following our king. They should have known their king better than this. Second Samuel twenty and twelve. But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field and threw a garment over him. When he saw that everyone who came upon him halted, okay, guys, oh man, try to get a catch the visual on this here. He says, okay, everybody follow Joab if you follow David, but nobody dared to move. Because they're watching this poor guy die in the middle of the road that he just just disemboweled, right? So here's how you get people to move. Okay, How do you get them to move when they don't want to? First, what you do is you drag David's true representative, Amasa, the real guy that David put in power. You drag him off the road while he's still suffering, probably dragging his entrails along behind him, too. Don't even bother to bury the guy. And... Did all this just to get a following from people who should have known David well enough to know better. Now we'll now we'll get them to move. Now they'll come. Oh, these people should have known. Don't follow this. That's terrible. David would never condone what Joab just did. But that's how they tried to get him to move. 2 Samuel 20 and 13. When he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bishri. I'm just, okay, guys, I'm just thinking, really? Are people really this dense? Well, apparently they were. So Joab basically picked up a mass of He's basically acting like he got his old job back. I guess I'm the commander again. Everybody's following him. So, okay, I'm the commander. It was not his place to do this. That's an important point here. Second Samuel 20 and 14. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, to Beth, Mecca, and all the, the Barites. So they were gathered together and also went after Sheba. Then they came and besieged him in Abel of Beth Mecca, and they cast up a siege mound against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. When he had come near to her, the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. So she spoke, saying, They used to talk in former times, saying, They shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Apparently, Sheba ran off to hide behind the walls of this city here, but this wise woman referred to this city. This is an inheritance of the Lord. In other words, she was trying to say that this city here had always been a great place of prominence in the land. It was a place that had always been loyal to the kingdom of Israel. It's a place where people used to come and resolve differences and they came out better for it. And so she basically asked Joab, why would you want to swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Why would you want to destroy a city that has always been good and resourceful? and beneficial to the rest of Israel she was trying to convince Joab that it made no sense to destroy a city that had always been so useful to the national economy and to the kingdom why would you kill this destroy this place this is a good place 2nd Samuel 20 and 20 and Joab answered and said far be it far be it from me that i should swallow up or destroy that is not so but a man from the mountains of Ephraim Sheba the son of Bishri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, Watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bishri, and threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet, and they withdrew from the city every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Oh, listen to Joab. I just love that. Oh, far be it from me. Far, far be it from me that I should destroy. After looking at what he just t- did to Amasa, sucker stabbed him in the gut and left him in the road to die. I mean, yeah, far be it from me that I should destroy anything. Yeah, Joab, listen to you. <laughs> Good gracious. So he told the woman, he w- I'm not trying to take the whole city. Just give me Sheba. That's all I want. So she convinced the people to cut Sheba's head off and toss it over the, uh, toss it over the wall. I mean, my goodness, this is quite, quite the story here, isn't it? Tough times, right? Um, so, but the revolution, the guy that read the re- revolution, was put down uh, quite harshly, I would add. But apparently the people who loved the kingdom wanted no part of the revolution. They wanted to aid in the resolution. Well, they were on board with David, and so they pitched in, they took out the opposition because they wanted it to benefit the kingdom. Now, that's a pretty heavy content there, isn't it? Nobody likes a revolution when it threatens the peace, especially their their peace, and everybody took it seriously, and they got rid of Sheba for it. I think we can all understand that this was not a smart move on Sheba's part to try to do this, and he got what he had coming to him. We can all look at that, oh, bad Sheba, you got what you had coming, but hang on, I'll get you later. <laughs> But what gets me here is where it says that Joab went back to the king at Jerusalem. Did you see that? He went back to the king. I thought you got fired. Well, yeah, here I am. Here's the head of Sheba here. David tolerated that assassination for some reason. Wait, wait a minute. I sent Amasa to go out and do this, and you come back? I don't understand what, what's going on here exactly. I'm, I would like to think that if I were David, I would have said, dude, I thought I fired you. I thought you were done. What are you doing picking up this job? Maybe David was somewhat afraid of Joab. Perhaps David thought that Joab's persistence to keep staying in the ranks here, maybe it was part of a curse that God made David live with as part of his punishment. Who knows why David did this, but for some reason, David did not put his foot down like maybe he should have done. But David somewhat did the same thing, though, when you think of it, back when Amnon raped Tamar. David knew about it, but he didn't do anything about it. David's the guy that stepped out and killed Goliath. He had the boldness and all that, but he's not doing what he should with people close to him. Uh, In some respects, David doesn't seem to be the man he used to be, but I think David had a a much harder time dealing with people that were close to him than he did in dealing with people he didn't know. You ever been in that scenario before? When it comes to people, you don't know. You're a little quicker to, yeah, I'll I'll take care of that guy. I'll take care of her or whatever. But when it comes to somebody very close to you, it's a little harder. It's a little more awkward. Maybe that was what's going on here. I can tell, though, by looking at David that his sin has messed him up really bad. And paying the consequences, losing these sons has messed him up pretty bad. So whatever's going on, whatever the possibilities that I have suggested to you, that's going on in the story. David is is off a little bit and there's it's it's promoting trouble. But Joab here is still in the royal ranks, isn't he? He just took his job back and here I am. I'm Joab. Here's here's Sheba and I'm back. I don't know. 2nd Samuel 20 and 23. And look at that. It says and Joab was over all the army of Israel. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherithites and the Pelethites. Adoram was in charge of the revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira, the Jairite, was a chief minister under David. Again, we see Joab's name in the list as over Israel's entire army. This is David's staff list here. But another problem we have in the list of the people we just read was Abiathar. One of the priests was in the list on David's staff. Who is Abiathar? Abiathar's of the priestly line of Eli, way back when Samuel was a little kid. Eli was that guy that the Lord said he would cut his line from the priesthood because Eli's sons were abusing the priesthood to take advantage of people. They were using the priest's position as a position of power to gain for themselves, and it infuriated the Lord something fierce. And Eli wouldn't do anything about it. He wouldn't put his sons in their place and tell them, you're going to stop this. They just kept doing it. So you got two guys, two problem guys in David's staff. Joab, not a good guy. We just read about him. And you've also got Abiathar, the priest. Later on in 1 Kings chapter 2, both Joab and Abiathar are going to both together. They're going to try to steal the throne from David while David was lying on his deathbed. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen set for life. You'll have all you need. Just receive with a willing heart. You'll be set for life. You'll be on your way any day you decide to start.